Welcome to Second Win, the podcast where we uncover the stories, methods, and modalities of women and men who have found their purpose while walking this earth. Sometimes they found their second win by accident, sometimes by hardship, and sometimes by intent. There is always something to learn from others and really isn't finding our own purpose what we are all looking for. I know I am. And that's why I'm hosting this very podcast. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. Welcome, Second Wind. Today, I have the honor of bringing you Steve Warmer, and he is the executive director of Hurt to Hope. He has written a book, Rivers of Hope. He is a public speaker, a leadership and life coach, and the minister at the Memphis Church. And Steve has had many different forks in his road, but his true second win moment was after his emotional affair with a coworker. The way his life unfolded for him after he found his purpose in that second whim has brought him to write his book and offer himself to a life of healing others. And we both met through a, gosh, I still can't think of the word, a common person named Anthony Acampora, who was on the podcast back in August 31st of 2022. And He's an interesting cat. You might want to listen to that one. Our mess is always a message if you know where to look. And Steve has had a little bit of a mess and found a message. So, Steve, welcome so much to Second Win the Podcast. Wendy, good morning. I'm so excited to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's go right in for the kill. Emotional affair. I mean, I think we've all probably been in that, not quite to the extent you were, but perhaps we've all, oh, I really like that person. What if, right? Let's start there. Hey, you, you need some caffeine for this show this morning, right? We can go right <laughs> for it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it was 19, it was just 19 years ago that that started and it ended up being a nightmare. Of course, you know, when you're in the middle of it, you don't see it that way. But yeah, I was with a coworker that just started out with innocent, or you think it's innocent, encouragement and, you know, saying nice words to each other. And the next thing you know, you know, you're, you're crossing some lines you shouldn't cross. And, you know, you're just acting away out of your character. And the next thing you know, you're, you're in the battle of a lifetime. And, you know, I'll let you ask questions about it. But it went on for maybe seven or eight weeks at the most. But looking back now, it was definitely a pivotal moment, definitely a second wind type of moment. Just didn't know it in the midst of it. Right. Well, real quick on the emotional affairs stuff, like, you know, I can see if somebody's sharing and giving you attention and it's making you feel really good about yourself, why wouldn't you go in that direction? And then I would imagine your thoughts are preoccupied with that person, even though you didn't actually physically do anything. If your thoughts and your mind and your heart are venturing out a different escape route, I can see how that can be damaging to the person in the relationship, the, the other person in the relationship, I should say. And that would have been your wife. So what, what happened? Like, how did it come to a head? How did you have that become a second wind that turned out positive, not like some kind of divorce? Yeah, great question. I mean, I was open about it early, like maybe in the first week or 10 days. Obviously, it's very excruciating news for my wife to hear. I think it helped, obviously, a little bit that I was at least honest about it. But the problem was just because I was open about it didn't mean that I ended it. And um, that, that prolonged the issue, needless to say. And so just giving you the Cliff Notes version to answer your question, this went on for several more weeks after that confession. And oh. it, there came a point in time where my wife said, you know, we're going to really have to have a serious talk. Divorce may have to be an option here. So that got my attention, needless to say. Yeah. And then you told me you were hours away from actually getting divorced. What happened? I, I would say we were, she was hours away from consulting <laughs> an attorney is what, what I mean by that. I, it, okay. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, no, she had just had enough. I mean, th there's right. more to it that I know you'll follow up with, but basically she had come home one day and I was gone and she had a hunch of who I was with and, and where I might be. And she left me a voicemail that I didn't get until I got back in the car to head home. And in that voicemail, she said, we got to have a serious talk or so I'm going to have to seek legal counsel. And wow. that's when I, that's when I knew this was serious, obviously. Right. Okay. And then how did you guys break free? What was that moment that you said, okay, we're doing this. And then, and what happened was you couldn't have predicted that your whole life would change, but it did. So what was that? Yeah, we um, did see a marriage counselor for a little bit. And then simultaneously at the same time, she had a friend from high school that she had stayed friends with even into adulthood. I mean, at this point, we're in our early to mid thirties. And she reached out to her specifically because she had become a Christian like four, maybe four years before that. And we were just at wit's end and didn't know who else to turn to for help from a practical standpoint. And so my wife's friend and her husband, who I knew a little bit, they came over to the house and really just listened to us. We're good friends. And we prayed a little bit and then it kind of took off from there on a spiritual journey. Your spiritual journey. Okay. Well, we will dig into that. Let's go back a little bit because there was way more going on <laughs> with you and your wife and the trials that you guys had been through and how you grew up and then this angry young man and then things were, were not working out the way you and your wife had planned and things were getting ripped out from underneath you. And then as it seems like in your story... When you decided to head down the path of, of believing in a higher power and all of that, everything started to kind of align and at least keep you on the path and also created a new idea of faith for you and having faith in whatever the outcome would be. So let's dial it back a little bit. So who is Steve Warmer? How'd you grow up? Oh, goodness. So I was born in Richmond, Virginia. My mom and dad divorced very, very early. I think I was two years old. And I have memories of typical divorce situation. I don't know the exact details of how frequent the visitation was, but I have early memories of sitting out of the, the steps of my mom's apartment and waiting for dad to show up for his visitation. Sometimes he did. And I can, I can remember some of those weekends of playing in the creek and cooking out and watching, you know, the, the 70s TV programs that were big at the time. Probably would laugh if I named a few of them. But there was also way too often, looking back, there was also way too often of sitting on those steps and it became nightfall. Mom finally saying, you know, you need to come in, Steve. Your dinner's cold. It's dark. He's not coming. And just holding out hope that he would come and then, you know, finally having to surrender the fact, well, once again, he hasn't showed up and he hasn't called. Now, as a little boy and even, even into teenage years, I didn't know what kind of damage that was doing. But looking back now as an adult, I see the emotional pain and consequences yeah. that that created. Yeah, for sure. That went on, that inconsistent paradigm went on for a few years. Mom remarried when I was seven and we moved, new father, stepfather. We moved to Arkansas and, uh, you know, life, life wasn't bad at that time. They eventually were, I should say, he adopted me legally at seven or eight years old. And there's a whole backstory to that that probably don't have time to get into. But, you know, they went on to have two kids of their own. So I had, a, you know, a new brother and sister, which was cool. And then because of his line of work, which was in the insurance industry, we, we moved again to Kansas City, Missouri, which was, you know, good. 11 years old. It was a good move. New friends, new school, all the things that came with that. But then where we might want to spend some attention is, you know, Fast forward a few years, I'm 16, I'm, I've got my driver's license, uh, I'm going to be varsity the next year on the cross-country team, we had just been to state the year before, got the first girlfriend, you know, you think you're in true love at 16 years old, so, you know, 16 years old, hey, this is great, I'm loving life, and then I find out he's being transferred again, 
in mm. this time of all places to Nashville, Tennessee. And Nashville's not what, it, you know, back in 1985, it was viewed a little differently than it is now. It's a, it's a cool, hip place, trendy place. A lot of people like to move there. But back then, it was, you thought as a teenager, you thought, oh my gosh, I'm going where everybody is, is not wearing shoes and, and is, is strumming a banjo and singing country music. So I was not looking forward to that move. Right. And then when you got there, that's kind of when things went south. Yeah, I, I was angry. I was angry at the move. I was angry. Well, look, at 16 years old, I think I was starting to realize more and more that I'm angry at my biological dad. Anyway. Who had not yeah. been in my life. The reason why my stepdad adopted me was because my biological dad had quit paying child support. He had quit communicating. He had all ceased pretty much communication, right? So yeah, I was, I was angry. I was heartbroken from losing the girlfriend. I'm in a strange city in a strange town. I'm trying to find myself, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I started acting out a little bit, getting into some fights here and there. The grades were certainly starting to slip. Not a good time for grades to slip when you're a junior in high school. Cause you know, you mm. want to start making those good grades for future education purposes. So yeah, I was, I would say I was a little bit lost at that point in my life for sure. Mm -hmm. And then that just went with you to college, right? It just followed you right along like a suitcase. It got, it got worse. It got worse. Yeah, because now I had my freedom. I, I had my freedom to make my own choices. I, I tried to pick classes that didn't start too early. Uh, there was some <laughs> strategy involved, you know, with the nightlife and, and needing to sleep in and all kinds of girls and alcohol and parties. And I didn't know how to manage my time. and emotionally i wasn't i wasn't ready for those kind of mature decisions and i my grades suffered and i was basically kicked out of school they gave me another chance over summer school did a little better than the summer enough to enroll for another fall but then and then the fall i went crazy again and the university had to say goodbye to me for a while so yeah i was definitely getting my i wouldn't even say slice of humble pie i think i was getting most of the pie served up at one time it felt like yeah, my son had the same thing. And I'm like, why would they take you back? Oh, yeah, they want the money. <laughs> Get it now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, which, by the way, wasn't mine. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This time it was, yeah, exactly. So bring us out of college. Bring us, you're a young adult man. The anger didn't leave you, right? You didn't do any, you didn't say, hmm, I seem to be an angry guy. And it's kind of just not helping my life any. Perhaps I need to address this. I feel like you didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you would say that, Wendy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you have to survive, right? So if college education isn't going to be the answer right then and there, then you have the reality of you got to go to work. Go get a job. I am in an apartment. I am, you know, I'm responsible for my own bills. Okay, so it's it's time to be blue collar and there's nothing wrong with blue collar. It was just hard without the education to make the kind of money you wanted to make, obviously. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I made it work. I had roommates and, you know, we made it work. But I, yeah, to your point, I was still very, very angry. And oftentimes I took it out on my friends. I had a, a steady girlfriend that I met along there somewhere. And it was a serious relationship. We dated mostly on, sometimes off three years. We talked about marriage wasn't meant to be. She never gave me the rationale specifically for ending the relationship, but I'm sure my personality and anger had something to do with it. So now, you know, now you here you are 21, almost 22 years old and you're heartbroken again. And it's, you know, it's, it's like at some point you're going to have to not point the finger at the world and in and your biological dad and you're going to have to say, you know, common denominator here, maybe, maybe me. And all, all honestly, I still wasn't ready to own up some dead end jobs, you know, kept me afloat, but they weren't what I was looking for. So I had this emptiness inside, you know, I'm looking for something more fulfilling, but not knowing what it is. I think really, if I had to sum it up, I'm like, felt hopeless. Like, yeah. where's my hope going to come from? If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm here and I want to be here where it looks like the rest of the world is and they're existing and they have jobs and they're driving to work and going out to dinner, like it all looks so good, but I'm here and I just don't see how I'm going to get there. 
Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of us go through that at some point for sure. So yeah. bring us up, bring us up to speed. Well, I think, I think a pivotal moment for sure was at 24 years old. I met my now wife, Rebecca, and she had an amazing effect on me. I fell in love with her quickly. We always joke that I proposed to her three weeks after we started dating, but mm. it took me three years to uh, actually get married. So I think I was just getting her off the market. I recognized quickly that she was a keeper. And uh, Rebecca was very practical, very spontaneous, very fun, very kind, tenderhearted. And I think just being in her presence those attributes started to take effect on me and it had a, had a calming influence on me. I'm not saying I just instantaneously, all the anger was gone because it wasn't, but it definitely subsided some and I felt like she could be the voice of reason when she started to yeah. see the trend or a trigger happening. And I think probably I avoided so, some situations that left to my own devices would have gotten out of control from an anger standpoint. So she had a really good effect on me and we get married, like I said, three years later. So at this point, 1996, I'm 27. She's almost 25, obviously into our full adulthood at this point and both working and now trying for the American dream. Where's the house with the white picket fence? And let's start thinking about a family and maybe a dog and all that stuff that so many people dream about. Right. And How'd you go with that? Because, I mean, did she just go and you said, okay, let's start a family and she was pregnant or what happened? Yeah. It started off pretty well. By this time I had, I had a good job. I was working as a manager in a private security firm. We had a few offices and several hundred employees and I was getting promoted through the ranks there and doing pretty well. She had a steady, steady job. And so, you know, not, not a lot of obligations, obviously, with just the two of us, no children yet. Uh, we bought our first house, which was exciting. You know, was excited to start our family. I don't think we were trying to like rush it from a timetable standpoint. It was just something, you know, just naturally wanting to start the family. And then I think really the reality of how difficult that was going to prove to be when I, I can remember specifically the first miscarriage that she had looking back. It's like guys, I think guys definitely struggle, but certainly not nearly as much as the woman because, you know, they, they physically were carrying the child. But I remember if you, this, I'm going to show my age. You remember when we used to have Nextel that they were like the phone walkie talkie combination. Yeah. When I found out she was pregnant, I remember wearing that thing out with my business colleagues and my friends telling them I was going to be a dad. Yeah. And then I, I remember the brokenness of having to tell them that it wasn't going to happen. And unfortunately for us, that happened several times. I think it happened five times. And, and five times. One total, after. Yeah, yeah, that's difficult. We had two right before my first son and we didn't even buy anything. Cause we're, we called it the baby maybe. Cause you just don't want to be disappointed again. So I totally mm -hmm. get that pain. And when you told me five on our pre-interview, I was like, oh my gosh, that's tough. That's a tough thing to get through. So how'd you guys get through that? What'd you decide to do? You know, honestly, I think we just kind of sucked it up we, we, or we thought we were, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps life goes on or, or, you know, maybe that was more my mentality. Mm, you know, that's what mm -hmm. I was used to doing and maybe not being a good husband yet, not knowing how to lead her or get her help for that. Certainly left a little bit of desired, I'm sure. But yeah, I mean, we didn't have a lot of friends at that point in our life. We weren't seeking a lot of advice. You know, we, we just went on to the next thing, probably thinking it was going to be okay, but that wound was still there. Right. And what was the next thing? Well, then a series of difficult things started to happen. We fast forward now, we've been married for about five years, and I, through a very traumatic event that happened at work with a situation totally out of my control, it basically came down to look like the corporate 
personnel was was likely going to let me go for something that happened mm-hmm. at a high, high publicity account that we had in the middle of the night that I had no control over. But it was basically, I'm 31 years old. I've got this management experience. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to be able to find management work somewhere else. So it was kind of a roll of the dice. Should I let them fire me or should I quit with my integrity? And I, I chose to resign. The problem with it was right after I put my notice in, the dot-coms crashed. And the market got really, really tight and work became hard to find. Right. So that was a a significant piece in this. I'm being humbled again. And we were really in financial trouble because I was out of work for six months. Mm. And she's hustling, working two jobs, trying to make it happen for us. And I'm really not finding the work I needed. I should have taken whatever I could have found just to, you know, just to put food on the table, but young and prideful and, you know, thought, thought I knew better. Obviously I didn't, but long story short, that led to eventual bankruptcy. And that was very, very difficult. What I didn't tell you is we had moved, we had sold our starter house and had a house built out in the burbs, you know, and and it was our dream house at that time. And we had to forfeit that house and move into a uh, 900 square foot apartment with our three dogs. You were only allowed to have two, but you know, obviously we weren't going to part with our dogs. So I remember putting the key into that apartment like at 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I just, I, I do, I remember it being emotional for me. I was like, oh my gosh, how far have we fallen in such a short period right. of time? So those two events were significant. So you still feel like you keep getting beaten down? And then what happened? Because this is where things start to go. Still not your way, but it's definitely leading you, leading you on the path. Well, it's, it's those two events uh, that, that was 2001, both of those. So there is a period of a couple of years of trying to recover. Okay. And what I mean by that is Okay, now I've gained employment. Now I've been studying it for a couple of years, trying to slowly rebuild the credit, you know, starting to save a little bit of money again. Of course, wanting to own a home again sometime in the near future, but that's going to be a while. So there is some semblance of that couple of years of looking a little normal. I think when we look inside the heart, there's still some emotional void. There's still some anger. There's still some hopelessness, but functioning. If that makes sense. Yeah. So it's, it's during that two years at the end of that two years that I have the emotional affair. And I think you can even see I'm painting a picture of it starting to get back to normal and bam, I kind of get left hooked out of nowhere. And when I say left hooked, I'm not trying to pass responsibility on to anybody else. It was me. I think it just caught me. I made a poor decision or a series of decisions when I'm still hopeless. I'm still emotionally down, but not, not at rock bottom anymore. It just kind of caught me out of nowhere, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, there's stuff that's wounds. And if you get the warm fuzzies, I mean, who doesn't hang out around the warm fuzzies? So here we are full circle. You and your wife have dinner with an old high school friend and her husband. You pray a little, you do a little. Why was that your second wind? Started to see things I'd never seen before. I had become desperate. Like, I'm about to lose the most precious thing to me in life, and that's my wife. And she didn't deserve any of this. This is me messing up. And this is a consequence of me not dealing with those wounds you mentioned for all these years. Okay, it's time to catch up and pay for those wounds. And this couple, what they did is they offered us an opportunity to start studying the Bible. And the scriptures really came to life for us. A small group of ladies at our friend's church started studying the Bible with my wife. And then my friend got a small group of guys and we started studying the Bible. And it just changed my life. The scriptures just changed my life. There, you know, I grew up going to church occasionally. You knew some of the big stories, but taking a deeper dive at how we're supposed to live, if you're going to be a faith-based person, it just was a dramatic change for me. And then I saw at church 
I saw people living like I'd never seen before. Like they're not acting like they have it all together. And you do see that in some Christian circles, right? The hypocrisy. But I'm seeing some authenticity. I'm seeing some humility. I'm seeing some desperation. I'm like, huh, this is different. So there was a hunger starting to be born in my heart for, I want to I know more of this. And truth be told, it was, a, it was an internal battle because I wanted more of that, but I hadn't given up the emotional fare quite yet, believe it or not. I mean, this, this lingered for two months, right? And so there's this battle raging on inside of me. And at some point, I knew I was going to have to make a decision. I was either going to lose my wife or I was going to have to become a Christian and let God save my marriage and then, and then do with my life whatever he was going to choose to do. Oh, wow. That's huge that you came to that, that point, the either or point. That's interesting. Oh, there was no doubt. I remember I had been studying the Bible maybe four or five weeks, once or twice a week. And there's a process. It's You go through these studies to become a Christian and then you're baptized. And I remember, oh my goodness, I remember having a meeting with not only the guys in my group, but calling my wife and, and the gals in her group. And we all got together in one room. I said, I can't do this anymore. I see the hypocrite that I am. I'm not ready to live like the Bible's calling me to live. And I said, if you want to boil it down, I basically said, thank you. I appreciate it. I'll get back to you if I need you. I wasn't trying to shun them. It really was. I was, I was feeling exposed. I, I saw the hypocrite that I was. Well, there was, there was a series of events that happened over the next week that I called them back up. I said, can we get back into these studies? And they were very, very gracious. And that started to fast track the second wind. It really did. I eventually just ended it with the other woman once and for all. My wife and I started seeing the marriage counselor again. There's a whole host of good things that started to develop after that decision was made. Now you feel like you're going in the right direction, right? You've made a decision. Is this when you all tried to start your family and by having adoptions? Almost. So the part that I've got to fill in is we definitely responded on, it's, gosh, it's amazing we're having this interview. I didn't even think of this till just now. It was March 14th, 2004, that I was baptized and into Christ. And then I actually turned around on the stage at the, at the church and I baptized my wife. And that's, that was the best day ever, still is. And that was the beginning of the spiritual journey with God. And then, so to answer your question about starting a family, that was a couple of years later. We engulfed ourselves in the church and serving and growing and repairing our marriage. And because of the miscarriages, we had always kind of vaguely talked yeah, about adoption. It may or may not happen. Yeah. Yeah. But we were approached at a Super Bowl party by some friends of ours in the church. Hey, we know about this situation. We've heard you talk about an adoption. Are you serious? And what that did was that really forced us to go home and pray about it, talk about it. Okay, is this something we really want to start exploring? And we said yes. A couple of days later, we said yes. That situation didn't, didn't pan out, but it did cause us to find an adoption agency. You know, we picked them, we started going through all the training classes, and that's how that journey began. That that was like 2000 and probably late 2007. Okay. And then you had another adoption not go through after that, right? Didn't you have another? That was, that was, the, that was the big one. We, we eventually had six that oh didn't go God. through. That's incredible. It doesn't make sense. Until it all comes together, right? But yeah, when you're going right. through it, it makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, the one you're referring to is is the first big opportunity. After we'd gone through all the training classes, you know, the portfolio, you know, the moms can look at your portfolio. You've got pictures in there of where you live and your dogs and you're wearing your best sweater and you know, all that stuff. And we were picked by a mom that was seven months pregnant and she lived about an hour away. And we had dinner with her and her, her mom and her, I forgot how old her first daughter was at the time, I think seven or eight, but all systems go. And my wife went to, to the remaining doctor's appointments. We named the baby and 
we're at the hospital. Things are going great. We're, we're watching the baby at night. She's kind of watching it a day, kind of going back and forth. And um, the short version is she changed her mind in the hospital. The Sunday morning, we were supposed to go home with her. And it was being announced at an outdoor service from our church, you know, that we're going to be coming home with baby Hope and we're first-time parents. And yeah. Oh, it breaks my heart. I could cry for you right now. Uh, and how did you all throughout these, not botched, but missed opportunities that would change your lives, how did you keep bouncing back and going back to the drawing board? Was it your faith? No doubt about it. Couldn't have done it without our faith. Matter of fact, Wendy, I, I know this will sound crazy probably to your viewers, but the day she changed her mind probably was our strongest day ever spiritually. Hmm. Because we were prepared for it. We were prayed we were prayed up about it. And when she changed her mind, instead of being angry, I mean, yeah, we were crushed. Don't get me wrong. But when you walk into her room, if you're me, okay, my wife's already in the room with her. When I walk into the room and she starts crying and she's holding her child and she profusely apologizes to you, you have a choice in that moment. What's your reaction going to be? What's your witness going to be to this young lady? It is her child. I mean, first of all, it's God's child first. Second of all, it is her daughter. And I can tell you, this had to come, the strength from above. I walked over to her. I kissed her on the forehead. I said, this is your child. You take care of her. You don't owe me an apology. You don't owe us anything. Wow. And I know where that came from. Yep. Yep. Okay. So you are now getting more and more involved with the church. Yeah. Bring us up to speed to where you are at, where you start becoming that guy that people go to for advice and for help and, and how the doors start opening in, in kind of cool directions for you. You know, we served in some capacities. I'm trying to think what we were doing to serve at that point. You know, we had done ushering. We had ran the book table for the church. I think at this particular time when this happened, we were leading a small group for midweeks. And so, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say we were heavily influential, but may, maybe this event changed that because I'll, t I'll tell you what happened, not, not to go too far backwards, but people are calling us thinking we're coming home with a baby. Oh yeah. And they're excited for us. But when we tell them the news, they get angry. They get critical of her. Oh yeah. And we're like, no, no, no. No, no, that's that's not supposed to be our response. That's not where we're at. Please don't you be there either. Let's pray for her. That you know, all that comes with that. That's a huge teaching moment. It it is. We call the church higher. Hey, let's take her supplies. They weren't prepared for this. They live rural, they don't have a lot of need. I mean, a lot of uh income. Let's supply them with diapers and furniture and formula and what let's show them the love of Jesus, right? So I think people may have started to view us a little differently then. You know, we, we heard about how, how great our faith was and all that. But to be honest with you, we were up and down like everybody else would have been. It was just God carried us through it. So, yeah, I mean, we, we had, I think we started praying shortly after that to go into the full-time ministry. And we started getting advice about it from our closest friends in the church. Hey, do you think this would be a good idea? Are we crazy? Are we both? You know, all that kind of stuff. And talking to, to some of the, the staff and the elders in the church and nobody said, stop, you're nuts. Or maybe they just thought it and didn't say it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we, we started praying about it. We wanted to be more involved for sure. And then comes along another opportunity to become yeah. parents. And you must have been like, seriously now, should we just like not do it <laughs> or what? How did you do that? Well, from the one I described where the mom changed her mind, we had four others, no, five others that didn't happen in about a three year span. So, so basically, let me describe this to you. So now we're in late 2010, early 2011. We've been on this adoption journey for about four years. 
little over four years, our adoption agency calls us. They end the relationship with us. Oh, that's right. They fired you. I forgot. They fired <laughs> us. Unheard of. I called Rebecca and I said, I don't know what to you know, do with this. Yeah. It's like we never even did the four years. I'm going to be brief with this because it's a lot to tell, but God gave us three children at one time. God gave us three children at one time. They were from two different situations. Both of them connected inside the church with relationships we had with people inside the church. Our two oldest children are fully biological children. You know, they're, they're full siblings is what I'm trying to say. And they were in the foster care system being fostered by a family in the church. We started providing kinship care for them when, when that family, or respite would be the better term. We provided respite care for them when the other family needed a break. And then the other situation was from friends of ours in the church that had a 19-year-old daughter who was pregnant. And we knew that she was 50-50 on whether to keep the child or not and ended up, you know, after, after he was a month old, she came and visited us and asked us if we could parent. So at the same time, within a few days, we had a almost four-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a one-month-old. Wow. Like, like, wow. And then everything just kind of went into a new trajectory, wouldn't you say? Or same trajectory, really. But now it's like ever expansive. Is that a good way to put it? The joke we made was if you're a basketball fan, we never got to play man-to-man defense. We went straight to zone, two on three, two two parents (laughs) to three kids. I mean, they came into our home in April of 2011. And I kid you not, I was sharing this with you before that one of the elders in our church approached us. He says, I know you guys have been praying about ministry. I know you've been talking about it. I've got, the church has an opportunity for you. And he said, it's not a paid position. We have a, basically they called them house churches, which is a smaller church. That's not a, a full nonprofit status church yet, but they're functioning like a church. They just don't have the legal entity yet. And it was about an hour and a half away from our house in another state. We're living in Tennessee, and this is in northern Alabama. And they were going to pay for our mileage, and they were going to pay for our lunch. And I was going to preach every week. We were going to stay for lunch with all the members and, and get to know them and you know help them with whatever they were going through. And I, I kid you not, I remember, I remember driving a pickup truck at the time. And when those three kids came into our house and we found out, okay, if we accept this position, we're going to be driving to Alabama for church every Sunday with our three new kids. I remember specifically trading in that pickup truck for our first minivan. (laughs) Everybody has to have a minivan. (laughs) Yeah. A little bit of sadness that day, but it all worked out. We we, we needed the practicality, right? But yeah, we, we did that for two years. Two years of schlepping back and forth. Yep. And then all the while praying for a full-time ministry job, hoping that would become the one. We were loving those people. We wanted to see them become their own church. It wasn't meant to be. Um, they are now, by the way. They're now a full full church nonprofit status. And then um, we interviewed several places in the Southeast, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee. And God put us, he answered our prayer. He put us into the full-time ministry in central Illinois. So we loaded up and moved to Springfield, Illinois. That's amazing. And are you there now? No. No, we did that for seven years. And then God brought us back to Tennessee. We were living in Nashville. I don't know if we we covered that. Or, yeah, we did earlier. But he brought us to Memphis, which is in the western part of the state. And then uh, we moved here in June of 2020, right when COVID was starting to take off. Right, right, right. So where are you now? So you went through the COVID thing. Now you're like full-time church. And what are your roles? Yeah, well, we're in Memphis, leading a great church here in Memphis, Tennessee. And we've been doing that just going on three years. But we did that in Illinois, too. So we've led right. churches now for, for a number of years. But it's it's also, we've gotten involved with some other projects that you've alluded to earlier. But yeah, definitely, definitely loving leading the church. It's a lot of work, but it's also great to be serving God and his family. So... 
what makes you, I mean, you start branching off because you're seeing a need and you know how, I mean, we draw from our own experiences, right? To help others. And that's, it's kind of what made you kind of go in that direction, wouldn't you say? So tell me what starts springing up for you and then how the book comes about. Okay. Well, I, th I think what you're alluding to is the work we do with Her to Hope. Correct. And how that came about was, I have to take you back just briefly, both Rebecca and uh, my mom, they died three months apart in late 2006. Rebecca went to a workshop called Hurt to Hope. Short Wait, Rebecca, your wife died? No, no, no. I'm sorry if I didn't articulate that right. Her mother. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute, we didn't go over that. Then no, we're gonna no, 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 no. I, I didn't. I, I must have not communicated that right. Let me okay. let me start over. So my mom, my mom passed away in August of 2006. Rebecca's mother passed away okay. in November of 2006. So our moms passed away close together. Okay. And in 2007, some point, Rebecca went to a workshop called Hurt to Hope. And she's coming home telling me about all she got out of it, how much it helped. And of course, you know, I'm a typical guy. I'm thinking that's great for her. I'm working, you know, obviously that's not my makeup. I'm pulling myself up by the bootstraps. I'm going to be okay. But it lingered in here for a number of years. And when we got to Springfield, now this is several years later. This is, this is like 2013 when we got to Springfield, Illinois. I made a phone call to the directors of Her to Hope, and I was inquiring about it to see if I, they thought it might be able to help our church. Hmm. And they felt it could, but I tabled it. I tabled it for a number of years. And looking back now, I can see why I needed to go through it first. And so I went through it for myself in 2017. And and then I saw what Rebecca saw. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not just a grief ministry. It's a ministry that helps you with any loss. And so let me de define loss. So it can be a death for sure, but a loss of a relationship, a grieving, a job you didn't get, a job you lost, a dream that you had that wasn't fulfilled, unforgiveness, bitterness, anything like that, it can help you with. And certainly based on the conversation we've had, you can see that I had plenty of things I needed help with. Wow. So it helped me tremendously. And one of the directors not only took me through it in a very creative way, she taught us simultaneously how to teach it. And so then after, and my wife went back through it a second time. So when I went through it, she went through it a second time. Then we were able to start having small groups of people in our home to offer it. And we saw how much it was impacting them in a good way that we were like, we need to be as involved with this and wherever we go, we want to take it with us. So over the years, we've just gotten more and more involved to the level of involvement that we are now. That's amazing. And you've helped countless people figure out loss and how to deal with it. But then why did you write your book? Because that's not a small undertaking. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, when the situation with our three kids was starting to come into focus, it looked like it was going to happen. I started writing an outline because, I mean, it was such an amazing story and only a story that God could craft. I said, I'm going to get older and start forgetting some of these details. So I started scribbling down an outline for it. I said, you know, this, this could be a book one day. And obviously we got busy, three kids. I don't know if we've slept solid since, you know, like with a lot of parents. And we had two moves in that time, went into the full-time ministry. Life got really busy and I tabled it. Now, if I'm being really honest, it was really busy, but there was fear. There was insecurity, imposter syndrome, all that stuff made me not pick it back up. And I've got a coach now who would say to me once in a while, he's like, Are you ever going to write that book? And I would just, I would blow him off. I'd say, I, I'm not paying you to talk about the book today. Let's move on to something else. And it was mm -hmm. half joking, but it was half serious too. And this actually was about a year ago this time. He said to me before we started to call, when are you going to write that book, Steve? And I said, okay, whatever, David, let's go on. And we moved on. I got off that coaching call an hour later and it bothered me. 
I don't know why I'd been working with him for three years at that point, but that time, March of last year, and this is just kind of the way I'm wired. I'm like, I'm going to shut him up. I'm going to write that book. <laughs> and I, I sat down and wrote the book in three weeks. Wow. And the name of the book for people who are interested. Rivers of Hope. Rivers of Hope. And what does this book do? What does this book provide? You know, really what the book is, is it's a, it's a public thank you to God for proving faithful in my life. He answered my prayers. He saved my marriage. I became a Christian. He gave me three kids when we couldn't have any. He put us into the ministry. So it's me saying thank you. And then it's got some practical help at the end about choosing gratitude and how we do that. And then it's about reconnecting with some family members from my past, some that I didn't know existed, some reconnected. So it's just a bunch of stories and the adoption story is a big piece of it. You know, yeah. it's probably a third of the book, but that if, if you're needing hope and I always ask people, is there anybody in the room that needs less hope? And of course, no hands go up because everybody needs more hope. If you need inspiration, if you want to, if you want to know how to persevere through a really trying time, this book can help. And something you said to me, it's important to figure out where do you hope from? Um, can you share a little bit about what that means to you? I think we're all looking for it. We're either looking for it in someone or something. And for me, it was God. Your question is from, it came from a hole in my heart that I thought my biological dad could fill. And we ended up reconciling, by the way, that that's, that's a whole nother thing. Before he died, we ended up reconciling, but there was a hole created in my heart by these wounds that we've discussed today that only God could fill. There was a lack of peace that I needed to have filled and only God could fill it. And he did. It came from a hole in my heart and I found it and I'll never let it go. So what would you say to someone who, who says, yeah, I kind of feel that way every now and then I kind of feel like something's missing or how does someone just begin? to figure that out. I think the first step is not trying to do it yourself. It's life is too hard as it is to try to do it alone. Call a counselor, you know, try to find a friend, join a group, go to the Y, find a friend that you can trust, find a pastor you can trust. Just don't be alone in your thoughts. I think it was just this morning. Let's see if I could pull it up real quick. Just this morning, I ran across this and I thought it was so appropriate. It's a meme that I ran across and I, I tend to post. It said, the heaviest burdens that we carry are the thoughts in our own heads. Oh, yeah. And it's, it, and it's a picture of a guy that's carrying this cart and they overblew his head to where his head's, you know, extended way back onto the cart and the head's almost as big as the cart. But I thought that is so true. You know, the voices in our head can be our biggest enemy. And if we don't have a safe outlet to process with somebody, because we've all got them, right? I mean, we, we all oh, got everyone. stuff. So that, that's, that's the first step. Don't try to do it alone. I love that. Do you, Steve, have any mantras or anything that keeps you going? Because you are on this like selfless, help others, serve others quest. How do you, how do you keep the energy up? How do you stay positive? How do you keep going every day? Because I don't do it alone. I have to, I have to keep my faith strong and it's, it's not perfect. Some days are better than others, but I have, there's habits, right? You hear that all the time. What are your habits? And it's developing the good habits. I spoke yesterday at church about overcoming distractions. And I even purposely had somebody call me from the crowd right when I was starting to make the point. And I walked away like I was, I mean, it, right. It comes across as rude, but I was making a point. Right. But we've all got it. Right. The emails, the deadlines, the commitments, everybody's vying for our time. For me, what works is I have to read in the morning. I need to read some scripture. I have to read something inspiring. I have to read something that helps me grow. And then I need some time to pray and connect with God. But it's also like you asked me what I would say to somebody that's needing yeah. hope. I say, don't do it alone. I have to live that. 
like even right. more so at this stage of my life, I recognize I've got to stick with the tribe that supports me and that helps me. And then also give that back as I'm receiving strength from them. I love that. Ah, so what's next on your horizon? First of all, where do people go to find your book? They can go to one of two places for the book. I appreciate you asking. They can certainly go to Amazon and just type in my name, Steve Worma, Rivers of Hope, and it'll pop right up. Or they can go to riversofhopebook.com. And that, that has two ways. You can go to the link on Amazon, or if you'd like a signed copy, you can, you can request that and I'll personally sign it and ship it to them. Love that. So what's next on the horizon for you? My coach is trying to get me to write another book. I don't know if I want to, <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that right yet, but we've got major projects going on at the church. That's got me pretty involved. Needless to say. Hurt to Hope is we're looking to expand. We have we have an important meeting tonight with our board. So there, there's great things on the horizon there. And, you know, a book maybe in a couple of years, but right now between being a preacher and uh, Hurt to Hope looking to expand, my hands are full of both those projects. And your children. Needless to say, being a good, trying to be a good husband and a, and a good father is huge. Those little kids that were four, two and three month old, are now 16, 14, and 12. So yes, yeah. you're right. <laughs> pray, pray for me. I'll have three teenagers next year. Yeah, you're in the thick of it right now, my friend, for sure. Yeah. Oh, so when you wake up in the morning, you have to read, do you ever think of like, do you have a mantra? A lot of people have mantras and I always like to share those. Hope is still alive. Hope is still alive. I like that. That's great. Well, thank you for your time today, Steve. It's been a pleasure getting to know you. I think there's a lot in your story and people need to go get your book because, I mean, I took notes. We didn't go over half of what he and I talked about, the job situation, how that came full circle um, for you and how God just played, kind of played around with all the little pieces of the puzzle until they all got together and led you on your path. And I really thank you for your time today. Wendy, my honor. I appreciate you having me so much. It's been fun. Oh, good. And until next time, breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.